namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddang dhammang sanghang namasami <coughs> So I'd like to um, talk about the um, topic of acquisitions or residues or accumulations or, you know, um, there's various terms that refer to this, but the most fundamental term in Buddhism is, is upadi, which means the basic foundation of what's been, uh, what's been acquired or established. And uh, this is understood to be the five khanda, the five aggregates, which I expect you're familiar with. Um, consciousness and form, so form, um, visual form, tactile form, something which registers as an object. Uh, consciousness, that which apprehends an object and generates a subject that apprehends it. <laughs> This dual consciousness is the beginning of dualism. Yeah. Uh, consciousness, uh, seeing consciousness generates a visible form and creates this impression of somebody seeing it. Uh, and in this uh, process, other aggregates participate or come into online, come into formation. One is um, for feeling, the quality of agreeable or disagreeable, mildly agreeable, uh, comfortable, okay, smooth, slightly difficult, downright awful, uh, ghastly. That's <laughs> 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 uh, the whole kind of range of it. And sometimes it's quite subtle, sometimes because we know how to bear with things that are a little bit uncomfortable, but they're still uncomfortable. We don't really want them, but we put up with it. So just to, but there is this sense which experience is, you know, classified instinctively, you could say, in t- terms of feeling, particularly mental feeling is very, very powerful and can be associated with sights, sounds, touches, uh, and different times can be agreeable or disagreeable. Mm. So it's not a re- necessarily a reliable uh, measurement uh, of the sense con- of, the, of the quality of the thing, but how it strikes us, you know, particularly the mental, it's very subjective. Feeling, reading up, perception. Um, there is the what things remind us of. We see something, we think that's a light bulb or uh, a person or Trudy or somebody, you know, it flesh, and you get you immediately get it sense. Um, mm. Uh, gives us meaning, helps us to know where we are. Of course, perceptions themselves are fallible. You think you th- think it's an apple, but actually it's just a piece of plastic shaped like one, mm. and so on. Mm. 
um, just to go through these very briefly. Sankara, um, these are the, the energetic activations, the energetic formations. Um, this is to do with impulses, um, directives, uh, impulses positive, negative, um, impulses, um, and they're more like impulses. Uh, they're not exactly choices. Very, f- there are cho- chosen ones, but a lot of them are basically instinctive. So we see in the familiar, um, you know, response to painful feeling is uh, what I call the uh, uh, fight, flight, faint, freeze, and fake it. Or <laughs> 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 list the ways. <laughs> these are all sankaras. These are the kind of reactions that we go to. Like, oh, it's fine. Uh, okay, you know, not, but you just fake it, or you freeze. Uh, what's going on? Or you're trying to zone out something disagreeable, or you resist it. You know, or you just scram in some way or another. Whether you physically move your body, you, you can do your psychology does this stuff. Mm. Now these are sankharas, um, basic impulses. They're also the impulse to to uh, give attention to something or to withdraw attention from something, to uh, make a big movement towards something or to make a half-hearted attempt or to just stay neutral. All those is, is potencies, which by by our engagement through sankharas, we bring things more strongly into our into presence, for good or for bad. So we can find that, you know, we, we can bring a negative, and it's reflexive, bring a negative impression into our mind and it becomes huge and we linger in it. It's, it's a system. Mm. Yeah. And then, so these potencies, creative formations, energies, activations, uh, and there are good ones, you know, such as loving kindness, um, obviously, uh, recollection, wisdom, and there are difficult ones, mm. anger, aversion, fear, hostility. Mm. Yeah. So, and in this practice, we are really beginning to recognize uh, that um, a lot of this stuff is already running. You know, and this is our personal field, you might say. So the, the combination of all these sets up our personal landscape. Mm in which we're seemingly in the same place when you look around, but actually we all know, you know, we're not, you know, our personal landscape is slightly different, isn't it? Mm. And what's that? Because we've acquired different conditioning. With basic conditioning, we probably will acquire fundamental similarities, but there's also a lot of personal conditioning that's molded our personal field. Things I feel quite nervous about, other people might not. Things I feel very comfortable with, people might feel very, you know, uh, challenged by, and so on. Mm, places where I feel friendly and warm, other people don't feel that way, and so on. Mm. So I have personal landscape, just to sketch that out. And whatever is is internalized has landscape, um, you know, the territory in which one's chitta is moving, around and sweeping and tracking is considered to be myself. <laughs> because, well, nothing else, but 
But when we begin to point of the Buddha Dharma is, well, this is all conditioned. It's not really innately yours. It's the programs that have been loaded. You know, programs that have been loaded, sent in there. You know, essentially, and yet it's taken as myself because that's that's the territory. That's my territory. Yeah, you could say that. Um, but the territory was established not through some personal agency, but through conditions. Okay. You know, even something like what what set of genes came down the tubes when you got born, you know? <laughs> or chromosomes or whatever, you know? Who, who decided that? Uh, and then that's a big thing, isn't it? But it becomes your, your personhood, your gender or shape or size or whatever. Well, who, who created that? Mm. Mm. And then clearly this process, uh, mental, we're talking about that's you know, physical conditioning, it's this way, but there's also more powerfully and more um, pertinent in many ways is the, is the mental conditioning or psychological, emotional uh, conditioning, that, that the landscape that we that our chitta, our heart mind is uh, measured in or sensing it dwells in, like a, the images of a spider living on a web runs around these threads because that's all there is, seemingly. Whatever is felt as myself, personal, is either, is mine, uh, is what I am. If it's afflictive, there's something wrong with me. If there's something wrong with me, uh, um, I feel saddened or frightened or lessened. There's something wrong with me. Uh, It may even be my fault of being this way. Mm. So you get another set of, you know, another aspect of the landscape is the self-referencing that occurs when this conditioning is taken as myself. Taken as myself and it's reflected upon. If this is myself, because what else is there, then I must be. (laughs) Uh And therefore I should try and do this to compensate for that or or I should accept the fact that I'm only this and you know get get on uh, <laughs> you know, so you get this kind of another this is all volitioned generated sankara and we get into quite complex psychological patterns there of um, doubt and uh, uh, anxiety and uh, self-criticism there's something wrong with me, uh, therefore something wrong with me, I'm, you know, I don't know what is wrong with me, I, nothing I can do about it, so I have to accept that there's something wrong with me, I'm lesser. And so then with that kind of conditioning happening, as we dwell in our lives and we experience contexts, then it's very likely we will assume that other people know or sense there's something wrong with me. Uh, and therefore, I have to try and best I can 
to, to, you know, do more than I can to try to compensate for there being something wrong with me. <laughs> so I do quite a lot. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just do a lot of everything to make sure I cover it all. <laughs> uh, and then I'll, but then I just feel strained and difficult and unhappy because of all that. So that's something wrong as well. I obviously can't produce enough good stuff, so I should try a bit harder. Um, and if I can't, then I'll blame myself for not being adequate to come up with the good stuff that I should be doing to compensate for the mess that I really am. And this makes life even more difficult. Uh, I can't quite come, so I just complain about myself a lot. Um, and um, so, so this thing goes on, this inner critic and tyrant complaining about me. Um, and if whatever is familiar and patterned and, and cultivated, the nature of Sankara is that which we potentize frequently, or that which gets potentized frequently, I'm not saying we do it, it's a language, that which gets potentized frequently becomes myself, me, and becomes established as an almost an orientation pattern. Hmm? So, you know, so there's nothing going on really. Oh, oh well, I'll just start criticizing myself because that's a familiar thing to do. <laughs> you know, it moves towards that and it can do that at a probably at a finger snap or worrying about myself, what I was, what I'm not, what I could be, what I should be, what other people think I am, you know, what he really feels about me but isn't actually saying. You know, this kind of stuff goes on, this negativity, because the negativity becomes a familiar pattern that one sort of, the, the chitter gets used to. So it's like the shoe that fits. It's the one you slip on the foot most quickly because it's the one that fits. You've used it so many times, it fits nice and snug. So we get into these destructive patterns. This is the nature of patterning. Mm, the nature of patterning. Now if we, and um, if you go right back there, when we live in a domain whereby we're, we're open, we hear, we see, we receive impressions around us in the world and we recognize clearly there, many of them are extremely distressed, distressing signals. We also live in a domain whereby um, the level of, comp of real um, loving acceptance is rather limited. <laughs> Put it mildly. <laughs> and of that quality towards others. We live in a domain where actually, even though there are maybe 100,000, 500,000 people in this city, most of these people I just move past and we just kind of nod maybe. There's no heart contact. Really? Yeah. So there's a sort of... So the heart begins to lose that sense of nourishment that comes from heart contact and, and even... Um, you know, orientation that comes from heart contact. So we're in heart contact, there's a sense of being met and there's an energy that, that is, we, the energy, our energies are held, our emotional energy is held, received, and then whatever it is, it's a feeling of, oh yeah, you know, it's not, 
shut down, it's not frozen down, it's not closed off. Now, when we're living out of heart contact, out of heart contact, heart closes, and it gets used to being closed, it gets familiar with being closed, Um, it gets familiar with being alone, it starts to operate like that. Uh, even against our wishes. Mm. So if we live in, in the public domain, it's very frequently not a place for heart contact. There's just too much going on. And much of it is machinery anyway. It doesn't contact the heart. And we are dominated by the machinery and the systems that do not have heart. Then that's not designed to do that. They're effective, efficient, and so forth. They do not have heart. And they're the ones that we eventually will obey. Mm. Excuse me, I've got a, f- you know, human being, your second. What's most important is what the little signal and the buzzer is telling me. You know, so we will obey those. And those are heartless. Mm. So this then, again, becomes patterned in. Uh, as this is the leader uh, the thing we most obey is the heartless system, machine, device, command, and sort of the secondary stuff is just for, you know, recreation now and then. Mm. And the most important thing is fairly heartless. So that when the, you know, when things that, uh, when we choose, it reflex choose, we'll choose obedience to the system rather than following heart. Maybe not for you, but I would suggest for a lot of people it's like, though that's a very real enough experience. How, how in fact how states exist, you know, how nations exist, how nation states exist is because we will tend to obey the system, by and large. The person in the uniform we imagine is someone we can trust. Or we don't really imagine it, but at least we obey them. Um, no, they're just another human being. So, you know, this is all conditioning, and, uh, and so but the th- that's internalized as a kind of pattern that we can follow. Mm. And whatever is patterned in, you know, whatever is patterned in uh, uh, becomes myself. It also sets up a particular um, pattern that then replicates in, in, in many respects. It's like a hologram. Yeah. So then we can end up being heartless to ourselves because we've sort of accepted the validity and the suprema- the primacy of the heartless quality and that will get us a job and da 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 yeah, and make us some money and get on and uh-huh. so we've accepted that and then that begins to affect how we relate to ourselves rather heartlessly or with a limited heartfulness Lack of sympathy, you could say. 
So this, this, this manifests as the inner critic who, as you know, never has an ounce of sympathy for you. Is incapable of congratulation, of feeling joy, <coughs> of admiring your skills or your beauty or your grace or your qualities like that. It just can't do it. And yet we obey it, it becomes a tyrant. We fear it and we do what we can to avoid it. But it always comes back because you don't get out of it by following its messages. Even if you obey it, you still accept that it is is your leader. even if it hurts you. Mm. So then this pattern gets patterned in. So that's, that's, an, that's we could say that's an accumulation of residue uh, and um, deeply sad, really. It cripples us and it cuts off access to our strength and our beauty and our wisdom and our love. To the point in which we don't sh- we don't think we have any, but there's something else that's wrong with me. <laughs> so pile on another set of <laughs> criticisms, <laughs> and you can't criticise yourself <laughs> towards happiness. <laughs> you can't criticise yourself towards accept- lo- loving acceptance. You can't complain about how unaccepting you are, and that will make you more <laughs> accepting. <laughs> You can't, you can't, it doesn't work that way. You can't beat yourself up into enlightenment <laughs> or whip yourself into mindfulness because <laughs> yeah. those are heart qualities and if the heart is shut down, you can't do it. It's just, it's just literally, you know, how, can it, how could that happen? So this is an example of the dead ends of these of negative uh, accumulation and they become set pieces that are ready to spring at any given moment. You know, you can be mopping the floor and you're not mopping it quick enough, fast enough, good enough, the right way. And people will know that and see you and, you know, once again, you've done it wrong or you should do it faster, quicker, stronger than anybody else. Because you know everybody knows there's something wrong with you, so you better you know do 150 percent to try and compensate for that. Now this sense of yeah, there's something wrong with you, all right. <laughs> you <know. But laughs> well, it's something wrong. Or you could say, I say more, more perhaps more effectively, there is a dissonance in the field. In your personal landscape is a little bit contorted, distorted, and there's some big gap, there's some dead end, there's some numb wasteland of that has not been properly uh, crossed and, and fertilized and brought back to life. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what's wrong with us. Mm. But it doesn't get solved by feeling negative about it or feeling oppressed by it. The more we, you know, so you, you can't solve this, but also you cannot solve this on a personality level. 
personality is a system set of um, programs that gets established by the citta as it senses the field that it's in, this field, and establishes a personality to try and, you know, present to the world around a reasonable presentation that makes sense and can manage in this chaotic, crazy land that it lives in of anxieties and urges and craving and weird stuff and confusion and doubt and uncertainty. So, so we try and present something that's kind of reasonably coherent. That's the personality. Mm. It's our interface, and it's not artificial. It's you know, it's artificial, but not you know, not deliberately artificial. It is a structure. It is conditioned in. Yeah. It's not something we necessarily narcissistic about. It's just it's something that's conditioned in to somehow out of all this kind of mass of phenomena that are occurring internally to scoop up something that's sort of relevant to the time and place and put it out there as best you can. Mm. So it's also an acquisition. These are, so, but it, but it cannot really solve the field because it, it doesn't resolve the field. It just that's not its function. Its function is to summarize, to get some reasonable summary of what's useful to put out at any given time of all this experience. But it cannot. It's not there to resolve it. So your personality can't resolve the dissonances in the field. No. But your chitta can. Because that's 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 what lives there, that dwells there, but it definitely needs some support. Because as it stumbles around, it's liable to fall down the potholes in the in the territory, or get hit by the floods and the currents and swept away. So we need to fortify the citta. And the beauty of it is, and you know, the good piece is that if this process of fortifying, nourishing, strengthening, soothing, calming, encouraging the citta can occur then the sankharas, the formations that have done that, have helped to support us, they depotentize the negative stuff because we, and we, they become more familiar, more, you know, this is my true ground. Uh, and this other stuff is just a shadow nightmare that I'm moving out of. So then the, the nature of the field can change. Personality may shift a little bit, it's got less to deal with, it can be lighter, looser, easier, because it's got less bus- less confusion to have to try to make sense out of. But the real business is what you feel internally, how your internal landscape changes. Um, now, this we could say is a very powerful and, you know, accessible deliverance. It's called the first level of liberation is to have a good self. (laughs) By which (laughs) it may sound strange to talk about anatta, but what it really means is that the landscape that your citta is sitting on is pretty pretty comfortable. It's it's fertile. It's green. It's you know you can move across it without getting blown up by something. There are no monsters lurking around there 
jump in on you. Mm. Mm. So this itself is a profound uh, benefit. Mm. Yeah. And for the uh, one who goes further, begins to, um, you know, dismantle territory altogether. Mm. That's called the complete liberation, which it doesn't have territory. Um, but that's that's another step. <laughs> mm. Now, this uh, this acquisition can seem to be because it's myself, my territory, my landscape can seem to be something that's fixed, established, always this way. This is who I am. This is where I live. This is my true nature. This is my mind is like this. Yeah. This is something to seriously challenge. Yeah. And beautifully enough, when there is this quality of sadha, faith, something in this is saying, something's got to shift here. You know, something's got to shift here. I just cannot keep sitting in this territory. It's stupid. It's a waste of time. It's destructive. It's dead, you know, something or bits of it are dead, something I've got to kind of open up out of that. It's not giving me the juice and the nourishment. And there's enough faith to say that in some respects, you know, there is some potential for me. And this is marvelous if just that, you know, and this is why this quality of sadhar is considered to be the absolute irreplaceable hinge point for liberation. If that's there, you have deeply been blessed. You know, if that is there. Once the hinge is there, that door is going to shift. Yeah. And there's definitely, the p- without that, it does not. There are people who feel exactly like that, and all they do is drink and watch telly and get by. <laughs> they just put up with it. You know? So if you're someone who who has a, inclination that I could shift, I can shift, I want to shift, I don't know how, but if you've got that much, then you, you, are, you are blessed. You put your head to the ground, bless whatever it is that's, got you, that's given you that. Uh, because things are going to change from there, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. This is the nature of chitta. It is, uh, you know, once it gets a whisper of that, and there's a potency for liberation is there, it, it's going to happen. How long, what track it's going to take, we don't know. But we can feel just residing in that and recognizing our aspiration body, our aspiration energy, our aspiration sankara potential, and you just keep resonating with that. And you don't really need to add what I'm going to do, how I'm going to be, what I should be. In fact, you want to stop that because you're going to get into goal projections mm. and, uh, and ideas of getting there quickly, yeah, on a nice straight line <laughs> in five days or something. <laughs> 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 it's the business model. Yeah. And if you, so you just don't know, mm. but uh, to have that sadha and the virya, we begin to potentize some juice. And this begins as as uh, aspiration, as a certain, you know, energy begins to gather in aspiration, and then it becomes this quality called 
um, to be ardent. It's like it's literally one is a little bit fired. The word ardent is to do with fire. And tapas is the atapi, or tapas is the Pali word. It it refers to exactly the same thing. There's a little bit of warming there. There's a kindling. Uh And before you do anything, you just recognize that. And then you want to let that charge, you know, be felt in the mind, in the heart. Take it in. Because this is like the, the, the... the warming of the heart. Before you ask it to do anything, make anything, change anything, just warm it. Warm it with this quality. And it actually can war- it has a quality in your body. Your body begins to kind of perk up a little bit somewhere. There's an energetic shift. And this is, you know, you, you, you're ready. You're primed. And then what's meaningful to do, purposeful to do right now? And you start to be careful of the timelines. Just get back to what is necessary is to maintain mindfulness of just this. Bear this in mind. Stay with this. And collect around this. And then where can that be, you know, suffused into, into your landscape? Where can anywhere that can be suffused in your landscape? So for some people, this really just amounts to they go to their altar and they light a candle and they put some flowers on the shrine and they recollect the Buddha and for that moment they feel blessed and they, they you know I am a disciple of the Buddha and for that moment there's a light runs across their landscape. There is goodness in the world. Now, of course, in many other ways, you might experience something like that, but you pay homage to the quality of goodness, beauty, truth, wherever you see it, and you, you don't neglect that occasion. I'm not saying this is necessarily you know, some formal command. It's just, just to recognize any time in your life, any time of day, that shrine is an internal, that altar is an internal experience. You can remember there is goodness, there is truth, there is love, there is beauty available. You keep that candle lit because there's a lot of dark stuff around. And then what can I do to somehow, you know, more fully actualize that in terms of a skillful action, a beautiful deed? Uh, beautiful, and I don't have to think about myself as being good enough, worthy, and just do something. <laughs> and the more you do it, it's like you're, cu- that you're beginning to massage tissues that need to be massaged and bringing them alive. And so, this is the way we cultivate, you know, and, and increasingly, incrementally. Um, I think we've all come some, something of that way, we have come along. Mm. Now the nature of the, um, the closures that get experienced because of the, the territory that we, the external territory, you could say, becomes internalized. The messages of the you know, social, cultural, human environment, as they drift in, as we receive them and they become internalized, as myself, this is what I am, this is what I should be, this is the truth, this is the reality, and so forth, this is the real world. 
which you're not supposed to run away from. <laughs> you know, it's a nightmare. But you can <laughs> so it comes in, becomes my myself and so forth. And then, you know, we need to sort of um, really address that uh, internally and externally in one's sense, in one's orientation, and in the way we act. And any step you take out of the programming is going to be effective. You know, so any step one takes out of hostility, shutness, frightenness, anxiety, depression, fear of others and so forth, any movement you make out of that internally and externally will definitely have its effects. Now as we practice coming out of this heart closure and realizing this is the last piece we can save, the first piece to, to rescue is the heart. And it's painful. It's deeply uncomfortable. You know, they say that you get frostbite and your fingers freeze up. The most painful thing is as they come back to life. They hurt, agonizing. You know, when, when they were frozen, you couldn't feel them. And they come back to life, they hurt. Mm. So, you, you know, as you come back to, heart comes into life, it also experiences some of the sadness, some of the disorientations, the confusion, the doubt. Mm. Yeah. And because we suddenly, if we're coming back to life, we're actually coming out of the fixity of our acquired landscape. And at first, it's, it's kind of disorienting because we've got used to being that kind of, that sort of half zombie state, maybe. Yeah. And you come back to life and you, you know, I think when I first began practice, and it was pretty deep end stuff, you know, from nowhere into living in a kuti on my own, solitude with noble silence for three years, from nowhere, from just being out on the street, boogieing around doing stuff, you know? <laughs> and then slam, in the, in the slammer, <laughs> you know, a wooden box. I didn't realize how depressed I was, you know? Because, uh, you know, what happened was, there's so much energy had gone out into, you know, just things that young guys do, nothing really that, that evil, just fooling around doing things. Um, but it had all gone out into the sense where there was nothing left here. <laughs> all the energy had gone out into doing, and when you switched off the doing, it was like a kind of like an empty sack uh, of disorientation, Loss, loneliness, you know, all this kind of stuff. Because the energy had just been taken out into into the sense world. Once you switch that off, nothing. All that was left in here was thought, mm. going round and round and round. Thought and memory, and fortunately, aspiration. <laughs> you know, effort, 
yeah, there were some good things, but it was very difficult. Much more diff- much more uncomfortable in some respects than before I was meditating. Much more uncomfortable for me. Mm. And so, yeah, but then somehow the funny thing about chitta is that it keep, once it's sniffed, you know, something about coming alive, it keeps going, even though it's it's horrible. <laughs> you know, even though it's really uncomfortable and physically painful, it keeps going. Once it's once that hinge has turned, the door is swinging open, and it keeps going. I'm never going to do. I'm never going to know that I'm sitting, and you find yourself sitting. I can't meditate. You go back to the meditation hall. I'm not any good at this, and you keep doing it. My mind is totally saturated with hindrances, and you keep staying with it. Eventually, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you get this sabotage program. Because the, the thing, that the only thing that the critic knows how to do <laughs> is to do that to to tell you all the things that are wrong with him. But meanwhile, unspoken, because it hasn't got a voice yet, it hasn't got that far, it hasn't got a clear thought system, it's just got an aspiration and a f- sense of some kind of movement and pushing. It hasn't got a voice yet, that comes later. It doesn't have the words yet, it's got some instinctive drive to, and it's pushing against the stiffness and the tiredness and the deadness and it keeps pushing and it's painful and it keeps going uh, until those tissues start to come alive then they begin to speak and they speak of their pain uh, it's not just physical tissues but also psychological tissues you get difficult memories come up they speak of their pain they speak of their loss they speak of how you've abandoned them and left them behind and you keep going, and eventually they begin to say thank you. You know, they, they, they've, you've heard, you've heard your damage speak, and that's always needed, really, because in that sense of hearing, there has been a communication, and once it's communication, true communication, true communication, it really doesn't matter what's communicated, as long as there's communication, because then the relational circle is established. And in that relational circle, we're going to become whole. And once that's established, you know, the dissonance ceases. The dissonance is the disconnect, the broken heart, the closed heart. Once the heart is coming out of closure, and becoming less broken, it first of all speaks of its pain. And as it comes into it, you just listen and hold and loving acceptance of that. And you hold the circle and gradually the circle bonds, the dissonance ceases, the stress ceases, and the heart feels comforted. And it begins to settle. And there's this sense of Relief, you know, you've you've cle- you've left some of the landscape, the broken landscape, the wasteland. You've 
you've left it, it's, it's, it's finished, it's over with. Mm. Well, just to qualify, yeah. There's, you know, you can take a vacation from it and go back. <laughs> but I suggest that even if you kind of do occasionally dip back into it, the, sum, the chitta somehow knows, you know, you lift it off that. That's not as solid as you think. You know, you can come out again. And what is it that took you back to that? What did you, what did you get seduced by? What did you believe you had to be? What did you have to belong to? What did you put, what message did you believe in? Check that out. That's what takes you back there again. And so we lift and then, then you begin to understand the obligation signals, the belief in personality, you know, I'm only one of these, all that kind of stuff. And maybe so. That's just the message. Maybe so. Let's just stay open. Maybe so, maybe not so. But this I trust, when I'm feeling more whole. And then can I speak and can I act and can I orient and navigate however fumbling from the place where I feel more whole and heartful. And you start poking around, seeing how that can happen. So this is then we, uh, the more that we do that, the less you potentize the old messages, the old signals, the old uh, sankharas of dereliction, abandonment, loss, the old sankharas of it's your fault, there's something wrong with me. The less you potentize those by constantly visiting them and giving them juice, then they begin to dry up. And eventually they're not there, they're finished. It's a long time, it can take quite a while, but however much you, whatever you think time is about. So you have to recognize also that in this process of, of, uh, of conditioning, it's by no means verbal, it's not, much of it is not even verbally accessible. We often feel our problem is this endless in the narrative of nagging thoughts, actually, that's the tip <laughs> of the iceberg. Yeah. And so, uh, not to make you feel too alarmed, because <laughs> 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 but I wouldn't worry too much about that, really. Every, every, all, all thoughts do that, they go around in circles. Um, why I'm in teaching embodiment is because this is more foundational stuff, where the foundational uh, experiences are established, yeah. and it's internal body, internal body, and this is a topic that um, you know I, I talk of many times and almost obsessively, seemingly because my sense is that for many people, this internal body is pretty much lost or unavailable because most of our conditioning and development is on the external body that is what we see with our eyes and what we imagine other people see with their eyes and what this physical form 
can move around in its physical landscape. It's very much on the sensory description of it. And so much energy and attention and self-consciousness and nervousness and dressing that goes on this outside thing, which, yeah, has its relevance, that the internal, so much energy internally, really deeply internally. I mean, you know, we can have physical fitness and things like that. But in terms of the sense of presence, like something that's not just a lump of meat sitting on the ground, but a, a living, warm vitality that's suffusing this embodiment. Hmm. Yeah. And this is, this, is the, this is precious because this is the area that more than the external, this is the area that gets programmed so, as you probably pretty much recognize, if, you, if there's a panic or a shock or something, you feel internally everything shakes and shimmers, you know. And similarly, somebody you feel very warm about, something in you kind of opens up internally for this suffusion of happiness and glow. Those are obvious examples of the internal body opening or maybe closing or tightening up, yeah. And we get under pressure, the internal body tightens up. And I would suggest that for many people, that sense of pressure is there a lot of the day. Uh, and so, that you know, there's internal pressure because you've got to get on, you've got to do stuff, and people are not going to be happy unless you get this right. So this has this effect on the internal body, compresses in a defense mode. Yeah. And so that's, that's what it does. It's, it's trained to do that. But... In natural, in a, in a wild, you could say it does that for 10 minutes and then, okay, that's over, now go back to that. You know, <laughs> you see the deer, you know, oh, there's something out there and it freaks out and then, okay, goes back, waggles his ears, gets down a chomp in the grass and frolics around, you know, it's over. But we're like that. <laughs> <laughs> because even if nothing's going on, our minds can imagine something's going on. Our minds can be running the old abandonment program. Then your body is actually receives the impressions of your mind. And your mind is sometimes accurate. There is a threat out there. Mm. So your body does that. But then sometimes it's, I, th I think there's a threat out there and your body does that. And... There's not a threat out there, but there might be one coming soon, so he totally does that. <laughs> 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 yeah, nobody's complaining about you now, but they will do. you be like that. And you could do, and if I remember rightly, I think you did yesterday. Oh, no. And they're going to remember that and report you. Oh, no. You know, so you can, you can constantly potentize threat, hostility, even when in some respects it isn't there, but your mind has got so used and familiar to it, it keeps programming. You send that message into the body, not consciously, but because of that, the innate sympathy between body and mind. So you're sending these kind of mental signals into into your body, and your body seizes up. And the nature of, of, of that seizure, and it's a part of nature, is when a creature is under threat, it's like beginning of trauma what happens is we shut down and they do this with wild animals when the tiger leaps on it the animal shuts down so it doesn't feel the pain 
it shuts off its sensitivity and it collapses. Now it's lucky the animal thinks oh, this is dead, leave it alone. But if it's not, then it gets killed, but it doesn't feel the pain. Now, this is what threat does. Now, if we get trauma and threat, it does that. We don't feel the pain, but we don't feel anything. And if you don't come out of it, you're sort of not here anymore. <laughs> you're not in this anymore. You, you're out in this. And all you have is sense contact to orient around. We're lost. So we just... We, we lose that. So the degree to which there is that sense of inferred hostility, you know, he's going to blame me, she doesn't like me, I'm not, not good enough for them, I don't deserve this, they say I'm like this, as long as there's that. The degree to which that's the mind takes on those messages, it potentizes the threat, there's something wrong with me, distasteful aspect, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, I am distasteful. And it keeps dripping that into the bodily domain. The body seizes up. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, eventually it doesn't feel very much at all. And when it does, so as we cultivate, yeah, mm, we recognize the, the potencies that are there. Now this quality of transmission between the body and mind is not verbal. Uh, words can help. It's perceptual, which means this, the sense of, the felt sense of, the gentleness, the it's okay, has to be not just be verbalized, but really beginning to feel it and sense it. And this again is tricky because if we don't have those perceptions at hand, which we may not, not having learned them, you've got to start learning you know, what it's like to be loved. And you may not have really known that fully. You may not have perceptual triggers for it. You know, to bring up that sense without feeling embarrassed or awkward or I should do something. Mm. Yeah. And one of the last refuges, and it is a refuge of the triple gem, is I can't trust human beings. I don't feel quite safe with human beings, but maybe with the Buddha. Yeah. Or Kuan Yin or whatever, you know, maybe with that. Feel a little bit. Mm -hmm. So this is how faith in, in Triple Gem is to be nourished. And the Buddha himself said to Ananda one time, look, Ananda, those you were care for, those who you wish for their welfare, uh, encourage them to take refuge in the Triple Gem. It's because and under, if they deeply take refuge in the Triple Gem, they will not go to hell. They will not go to the hungry ghost land. Mm. And this is not about some future life. <laughs> this is like right now, you know. But then we coming to that, and then you realize some of these perceptions are perceptions of the blessed. You know, and sometimes it can be very difficult to take personally because 
you know, I'm not blessed by anybody, come on. Right, so this is why we meditate, we take it down into your, into your guts, into your be- belly, and so just the right around there, just imagine what it would be like to feel safe, warm, comfortable. However you are, that's fine. You know, and you're taking this kind of signaling in, and something in your somatic presence can begin to, oh, you're enjoyable. Yeah. So then, the the once she once it gets learnt or built in at that level, then it's possible for this can derail some of the negative programs because these negative programs, just as the fear gets established I- in the body, the negative programs get established in the body. So no matter what your head says, the body holds the message. And no matter, no amount of talking is going to convince it. Otherwise, the body holds the holds the message. So it's in the body where you've got to start feeling it. And what you feel there can first be quite uncomfortable. Mm. So again, with attention, we keep a nice wide attention. Don't go too much into it. Stay wide. Feel the feeling as it is and just sense, let the feeling move. And if you can get that, just even moving through your body, any part from your belly up to your chest or down your legs, so you can spread and move around, you're beginning to just correctly massage the internal body back to life from its frozen state. You begin to massage it, say, it doesn't matter if it feels unpleasant, it's going to feel unpleasant, but at least connect it. At least connect, you know, your upper to your lower, your back to your front, your belly to your legs. Just start to make the connections. If you complete the circle, you know, the wholeness is going to begin to do the work that you can't do. It's going to begin to find the balance that you can't find. And it will begin to hear messages that you don't know, that you never learn. And you'll feel them in your body. And you feel your body strangely opening and shifting and trickling. And something in your head going quieter. And something in your heart feeling slightly activated. So this is where we use the, the body for changing our landscape. Mm. And so dripping some perceptions, not just words, but perceptions. And these are slower. You can say a word like Buddha, metta. It doesn't take long, but just to, to keep dripping the perception of not just being good to others, but just vague possibility <laughs> that you might be lovable innately without doing anything <laughs> yeah, because why not mm. and you build up a sense of that the imagining what it would be like if that were the case if there were warmth around you 
And this is like the coming out of frostbite. Mm. Something that wants to maybe dismiss it or think it's silly. Funny that, isn't it? But you can also just bear in mind, you know, you look at it coolly. Do you regard the quality of goodwill as trivial, pointless, useless? Do you think if you generated some goodwill towards another person, they might not like it? might not or they'd have to do something to deserve it do you th- would you feel it would rather like just to generate goodwill towards another person out of the nature of out of the nature of your heart hmm? isn't that of course what about you why do you leave yourself out This internal landscape is, of course, the most tricky one, difficult one, stuck one to change, but it is the important one to change. If that changes, the world changes. So I'll stop there for today.